0: Good morning, slash afternoon, slash evening. Welcome to the Cow and Rice Podcast, a perfectly passable China Africa podcast. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I am joined by our co-hosts, Lena Ben Abdella, a PhD student in international relations at the University of Florida, and E Ting Wong, a China sustainability specialist at a nonprofit. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Duro, seeks to connect development workers with professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa that I know of. The Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, or FOCAC, just ended on December 4th through 5th in Johannesburg, South Africa. There are still a number of issues that we wanted to cover, so we will continue looking at the summit for the foreseeable future. For historical context, FOCAC was initiated in 2000 in order to sketch out a three-year cooperation plan between China and the countries of Africa. Since then, the Triennial meetings have been alternated between China and an African country. We wanted specifically to assess FOCAC and brought back Dr. Bob Okesa on the pod to share his thoughts. Dr. Okesa received his Ph.D. in International Communications at Communication University of China and is currently a research associate at the University of Witspan in South Africa. In addition, he was the founding researcher or a founding research coordinator at the African Communication Research Center at Communication University of China. His journalism experience spans reporting, editing, and leadership across multiple media platforms. In addition to numerous articles, Dr. Wakesa is the author of two books and his third on China Africa's forthcoming. Dr. Wakesa, welcome back on the pod.
1: Thanks, uh, Winslow. Thanks for having me Bye.
0: And right off the bat, what was your assessment of this FOCAC? And how did it compare to the 2012 FOCAC in Beijing? Um,
1: No, I think the FOCAC, it's now officially being called uh, the Johannesburg Summit and sixth ministerial conference, uh, was, uh, in my opinion, a huge success. Uh, It uh, could have done with some improvements here and there, uh, but on the whole, an assessment will indicate that perhaps it was uh, a success. Uh, if you compare it to the 5th Ministerial Conference which was held in Beijing in July 2012, it was uh, much more elevated uh, in, the, in the in the fact that uh, there were 48 uh, Heads of State uh, Presidents and Prime Ministers in attendance, whereas in uh, Beijing there was a lesser number, you know, hardly more than uh, five, as it were. Um, in fact, the fact that uh, the Johannesburg event was a summit rather than a normal, uh, what you can call normal in quotes, uh, ministerial conference, Uh, indicates that it was of a higher elevated nature comparable only to the event, similar event that was held in Beijing in 2006. And uh, then of course the fact of uh, the first summit uh, being of China-Africa. I like to say Africa-China rather than China-Africa, because I'm an African. Uh, The first Africa-China summit being held on African soil was itself uh, something uh, new and something worth of uh, looking at in terms of uh, being a a success. Um, And and in terms of uh, many of the promulgations, the the action plans that were released, it, it definitely went well beyond the 2012 event. Uh, If you look at the extent and uh, gravity of the proposals that were made, the mere fact that we are are talking here over 60 billion US dollar uh, commitment from the Chinese side as compared to the 20 billion that was offered by by President Hu Jintao when he was just about to leave power and hand over the leadership button to President Xi Jinping. So clearly, in terms of uh, n- numbers, it was uh, much more elevated. And then, of course, we can see the, the tweaking of um, the action plans towards areas that have been, uh, you know, uh, considered problematic. For instance, now there's a, there was a very heavy focus on uh, skills development for African, uh, African people to kind of up their game in terms of participation in uh, China-Africa or Africa-China projects. Perhaps this addresses the issue that has been uh, thumped over and over, that um, Chinese companies come over to the continent and uh, bring their own uh, laborers, their own workforce, because uh, in essence, or as one of the factors being that um, Africans are not skilled enough to undertake technical jobs. So the commitment towards uh, training, and uh, skills advancement was a, a big plus compared to the 2012 event. Um, but uh, to, to conclude, I think there's also a very major focus on industrialization. Um, and, and, and Because uh, there's been this talk about uh, African countries benefiting from their natural resources. And one way towards this has been that African countries export raw materials rather than finished products. So uh, Beijing's focus on improving and enhancing Africa's industrialization capacity through establishment of manufacturing units and factories and so forth uh, was was actually uh, indeed a major plus. And perhaps this also ties in with some analysis that seems to suggest that uh, because in the Chinese new normal um, economic trajectory as of well now seems to indicate that they will be transferring some of the manufacturing units from China to Africa. So this taps and uh, gels with um, industrialization of Africa and equally fits into agenda. As, as Africa Union's uh, you know, agenda for 2063. So those were some of my initial observations.
2: Bob, just to uh Uh, Tag on that very quickly. What is your assessment of of the uh, made in Africa with China kind of uh, sort of mantra that came out of the Johannesburg summit to to, to tie back to this industrialization and the focus on the industry? uh, You know, what do you think of that is how how feasible, how possible or how what's your assessment of that?
1: No, I think, just repeat again, I'm not, I'm losing you, so if you can repeat and talk slowly, perhaps, I'm I'm just, you know, it's kind of um, not coming through pretty well.
2: Bob, I was just asking you about the, um, to talk more about the industrialization, um, the mantra of Made in Africa with China, Uh, I was asking your assessment of that, what do you think um, that is going to look like, Um, is it feasible what do people want to see? May Africa made 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 in Africa with China look like?
1: No, I, I think that's um, an interesting um, uh, kind of a proposal going forward. Uh, the whole concept of made in Africa with China. Uh, I, I think it will it will be li- because you know African countries are clamoring for uh, value addition to their products. They will take on board anybody who seems to suggest that uh, this is a uh, something that they can, they are ready and willing to invest in. Um, now, what um, there are many perspectives and perspectives are essentially angles to this whole issue. One perspective would be, for example, does China China's investment in Africa, both in terms of finances and in terms of the technology, is it going, going to mean that? Africa acquires the environmental challenges that come with Chinese industrialization. Knowing, as we know, that um, in China, the, the first pace of industrialization was good in terms of advancing its manufacturing capacity, yes, and making it the factory of the world, yes, but it came with huge environmental issues. Um, just consider the smog in Beijing and the poisoned, um, or poisonous rivers and and so forth. Uh, and in, in China. So, uh, there, there's a, there can be a level in which Africans will be worried that yes, we want the manufacturing, yes, industrialization, yes, but uh, is this going to lead to a situation where we see ourselves having smoke-filled uh, cities? Are we going to see our fauna and flora affected? So this will be a, a, a challenge on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, because like I initially uh, indicated, uh, made in um, Africa with China is a proposition that uh, makes sense because it, it, it fits into the mutual or win-win cooperation, um, you know, mantra. Uh, it makes it practical. It makes it pragmatic. It makes it feasible in the sense that China cannot just come and help out Africa in terms of internationalization without it also benefiting from its investment. So Africans might want to say patent their own, uh, you know, manufacturing capacity and innovations and so forth, but uh, because they are limited at this point in time, they might as well go with a uh, partnership with China, so that it is uh, manufacturing in China. I mean, in Africa with China, and therefore benefit yeah, in the long term, upscale their capacity and perhaps win over from uh, China in the in the in the in the future.
3: Thank you. Um, I'm wondering just among some of the um, highlights you mentioned earlier, um, do you think this reflects what China wants more or, or what the Africans want more or, or this is somehow truly a win-win situation which we know is, you know, is something that's hard to come by?
1: No, I think again that's a, a, a tricky question that uh, calls for a balanced assessment. Uh, Obviously, Africa needs uh, industrialization, we are talking industrialization, but broadly, any area of economic development um, is one in which Africa is interested in advancing, um, in in, in, uh, tapping Chinese uh, heft in terms of uh, resources. But on the other hand, one must consider that it is China that is proposing. And uh, much as Africa is in want, of um, all these uh, investments and economic uh, partnerships with China, Africa does, has not come up with a solid proposal towards China. What we have now is a general um, policy framework, uh, you know, the so-called Africa Union 20, Agenda 2063. It is not very particular towards what Africa itself wants from China, so you have a situation where it is one of the partners that is proposing, and when someone proposes, usually they have a better understanding on what it is they are proposing, what is in it for them, uh, than the other the other partner. Uh, and, and, and therefore, one must consider the fact that um, Africa generally, being a 54-nation continent, has uh, various, every country seems to have its own strategy. These strategies are not aligned towards stopping Chinese resources specifically. It's very, very woolly and grey and general and, and therefore one wants to imagine that China here is uh, more the winner than, than, than Africa. But having said that, uh, Africans, since they don't seem to on the whole, I mean, there are few African countries that seem to have an idea of where they want to go, and one can always mention Mauritius, Botswana, South Africa, and, and Rwanda. But on the whole, it's as if Africans are waiting to, to hear what China has to offer, and then go with the flow. So in, in, in these circumstances, it is win-win. In my assessment, a little tip towards China benefiting more than Africa, but all the same, Africa benefiting uh, as well. Yeah. Mm.
3: So as a media expert, um, we're curious of your initial assessment on, uh, you know, if you have observed different diff- different um, sort of reporting styles by the Chinese media that are present uh, and South African media in particular and, and other African or um, even um, European American media that are reporting on the FOCAC.
1: Right. I mean, there was there isn't uh, much to say with regards to. I mean, it, it's not always surprising to analyze the Chinese end of things. It was expected that uh, the Chinese media will be overly optimistic and um, craft an image of um, positivity, uh, forward-looking, and, and praise the you know the event in its entirety without a single word going in the negative. Um, and, and indeed, they did uh, as much. If you looked at the uh, Xinhua News Agency, People's Daily, um, CCTV, and, and another, you know, China Radio International, uh, all of them were on, were on point uh, in terms of uh, the media representation of the event. Um, but having said that, one must not always dismiss Chinese media even when they are uh, very unlikely to be to take a critical stance on an event such as this. Uh, I think one can always say dismiss them as uh, you know trying to be in the um, uh, soft power kind of uh, column. One can always say they are out. They are being propaganda on an event such as this. But you will notice that many of the documents that we have been seeking as researchers to tap into and therefore. Uh, Help us analyze and understand the event better have come from Chinese rather than of information and, and, and as sources of the thinking that went into the event, they are very crucial. For instance, the, 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 the 2012 Africa, I mean, China Africa policy, which is the second one after the first uh, China Africa policy of 2006. Is only available as of now on China news agency with commentary on uh, its implications and, and, and so forth. Uh, equally, if you look at um, various Chinese media uh, you'll find that uh, you, you, you can understand the motivations behind the, not just the main event which was on 4th and 5th and not just the summit itself, but the many side events that attended to the event, for instance the media forum that was held in Cape Town, uh, for instance the um, signing of agreements between uh, China and South Africa, 14 different agreements and that, and, and the crafting of um, the uh, action plan and the promulgations, which as as we know up to now they haven't been upload, uploaded on the Focac, um, uh, f- website itself, but we are getting to see them through Chinese media. So they they play a crucial role in that way. Having said that, on the African end of things, and with particular regard to South African media, we see less of uh, complete optimism or um, comprehensive optimism or optimism without uh pessimism or without questioning and 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 so forth uh for example the independent uh, you know media group and one can see their um, analysis reporting of the event on their uh, on, on their you know online platform called independent online uh, iol they 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 took a fairly positive view throwing in criticism here and there but one must also go back then and understand that independent online has Chinese interest in that the Chinese have investment of up to 20% in the independent online, having bought into it in 2012 when it was declining. If you move on to newspapers such as um, Sunday Times uh, and and, and The Star, you find a little more of a critical stance, uh, particularly pointing out that, yes, Chinese investments are welcome, but this should not be welcomed blindly that Africans need to up their game. In fact, one analyst pointed out that while China uh, announced its China-Africa policy, um, Africa didn't have a a policy, you know, there was no Africa policy for China. And and, and therefore, uh, on the one hand, you see the welcoming of Chinese financing of a uh, you know proposal for finance commitment to financing certain projects, but on the other hand, you see criticism in terms of Africa is not exactly an equal partner as it were. Um, uh, you know, further afield, when you look at um, other media, Western media particularly, you find uh, an, uh, an inclination towards uh, saying it is continuation of a neocolonial colonial um, you know. Edict from uh, China. And in fact, one analysis had is that it is not necessarily neocolonialism as it was uh, or as it is from um, the Western world. It's not colonialism as it was uh, between uh, European powers and Africa in the, in the, in the, in the you know, early, early last century. But it's a, it's kind of a, a subtle form of neocolonialism in which uh, Africans uh, agree. To be colonized by China, it is willing, you know, colonialism willingly. Uh, I think that's one of the analyses I saw. So, um, but I think also the other thing that one notices from Western media is, uh, and African media for that matter, is that I think there was a kind of surprise and shock uh, to the effect that China had uh, committed 60 billion US uh, dollars. It was always going to be expected that uh, China will perhaps double or triple its commitment to Africa, but the 60 billion was a shocker and indeed it was the headline uh, around the globe, uh, or at least the point of uh, analysis. Uh, Now one also wants to look at um, a very kind of pragmatic uh, view on on China uh, over the FOCAC period, um, because now when we look at the optimism essentially coming from China, pessimism coming from um, uh, Western media particularly, Uh, but there is a strand in between there that seems to be pragmatic in that we are saying, look, yes, it is good for China to support Africa, but at the same time, Africans must know what it is they really want. What do Africans want? So I think those would be the various uh, strands that I read from uh, uh, the media analysis.
2: Mm. Yeah, it seems very interesting, Bob, this uh, idea of pragmatism right and i think um that sort of shows to a certain extent uh a sort of a negotiating power to a lot of these african leaders who are able to walk into summits you know with the u.s with india with and then with china also as one of the other partners and uh they seem to be kind of playing the rhetoric game as well and to kind of uh, praising the win-win cooperation and the mutual benefit cooperation, even though a lot of them know that it's not necessarily, you know, an equal mutual benefit, but it's it's sort of a pragmatic way of thinking about the relationship and taking, you know, uh, what's most, you know, out of it. Um, so I think that that's a really interesting way to put it. This this pragmatic perspective is kind of really interesting because uh, I doubt that you know small country you know leaders in Africa believe that they are on equal footing with China, uh, or believe that they are not receiving aid or assistance uh, or whatnot. But again, I think it's a pragmatic way to kind of move forward. Uh, but my sort of my next question uh, to you, Bob, is now that this uh, hype around FOCAC seems to be you know settling down. Um, what should we expect to see moving forward in terms of how these 60 billion, you know, divided into several, you know, kind of um, projects will be put, um, you know, into in, into into practice? Do you think or do you see that if, are there um, perhaps new actors that are going to uh, be come into play? Uh, for instance, I mean, especially with the idea of risk assessments and the idea of, um, um, managing, you know, evaluating, you know, projects before they are uh, kind of uh, implemented and all that stuff. What do you have anything to say about that?
1: Right. I think the all you know high-sounding uh, jamboree that is an event such as a, a focus summit uh, is, is a, always a masks lots of uh, way-forward uh, considerations. Um, if you look at the 60 billion that uh, was um, committed uh, by President Xi, um, 54 or 55 African countries, if you add some that are not quite recognized, like Mauritania, is it Mauritania or something? Um, Western Sahara, sorry. Um, if, if you add those countries, uh, the 60 billion then comes down. I mean, if you just did a general math on it, it will be 1 billion per country. So the essence of uh, of this point uh, is that um, uh, African countries, I think, will be looking at how they can strategize to tap into this hefty sixty billion uh, bonanza that has come their way. And um, in my opinion, it will be, it is countries that have uh, you know uh, uh, have plans, and most African pra- uh, countries have plans anyway. But those that have plans. But have a way of a demonstrated capacity to implement their plans that will perhaps benefit uh, most from the hefty, uh, you know, some of you know pot of uh, resources that has been put, put uh, forth. Um, in, in, in addition, the projects that are envisaged, particularly with regards to industrialization and so forth, I think will have to take time to get off the ground. So it's not a sieve. Uh, come first quarter of 2016, we'll see you know factories and manufacturing units sprouting out across the continent. And I think, like you rightly pointed out, uh, you know, firms that are in uh, political and economic risk assessment, such as K- KPMG or Price Waterhouse, Coopers, and so forth, will will, will have to, to to come in and do the initial assessment that might take ages. Uh, the channels through which the funds will be channeled, uh, will also have to be figured out, I've seen uh, last week I think an article indicating that uh, ICBC, Industrial and Commercial Bank of China and Standard Bank uh, of, you of know, South Africa are actually strategizing on how to check African governments on how to uh, tap into these resources. Um, so I suspect that this is going to be, in fact, it might just take another three or so years for these projects to get off the ground, particularly in the huge... If you look at it, for example, if you want to uh, industrialize mineral, mineral extraction in uh, DRC Congo, uh, first of all, it uh, is so first of all, you have to sort out the peace situation on the ground, then start channeling the resources through the financial vehicles, and then that takes... Ages, you know, you have to negotiate on labor issues, on, 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 on land and on, on space and so forth. So I think that's going to take a while. Um, in addition to that, uh, one has to consider the fact that uh, there's been talk, I think, at least from some scholars and academics and so forth, that the African Union, you know, these plans have to be aligned to the uh, uh, Africa Union agenda in 2016, so has a lots to say about African infrastructure, with an eye on the integration, uh, you know, integration of the African continent. Knowing as we do that um, Africa trades very little with itself, uh, and on account of uh, these many borders and uh, this, you know, penchant for sovereignty and, and and so forth. So I think the alignment, and and you can see China is sort of embracing a, both a multilateral and bilateral route, so that when a 60 billion bonanza is announced, it is at a multilateral China-Africa level. Uh, so that is an, a level where African Union comes into play. But at the same time, each individual African country will be looking to strategize on at a bilateral level on how to tap into these resources. So I, I guess um, after a big events such as this, as things settle down, It is back to the drawing board on how do we make the plans that we have promised Mm -hmm. feasible.
3: So I think obviously the um, government agencies and businesses are going to jump right in, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get their piece of the pie. But I'm wondering um, if you see there are ways for non-governmental actors, you know, to play a role Um, in helping implement some of the commitments, but also, I think, you know, hold the governments um, accountable for responsible investment and trade. And and then I think this uh, extends to the media, obviously, as well.
1: Right. I mean, the Fourth Estate is definitely, you know, a a major, you know, player in the civil society space. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it it will have to play a role. Um, but to go straight to your um, question, one of the things that we saw during uh, the concluded FOCAC summit is that there were very many side events besides the main event, much more than we saw in uh, 2012, much more than we saw in the in the, in the previous events. And, uh, and and this is essentially civil society organisations, let's call them independent civil society organisations, trying to claim their space, uh, which. I think, uh, governments by their nature will be perhaps a little jittery, uh, you know, including, uh, independent civil society organizations. You can just imagine, um, you know, human rights organizations being included right in there, uh, in, in the formal, uh, setup. Um, and, and, you know, if WWF had an event, with uh, University where I'm based had an event, uh, you look at, um, you know, organizations such as, uh, there's a difficult one called Mistra, but it has our South African, uh, uh, name, which is very difficult to pronounce. Also had an event, uh, focusing on, uh, suicide and so forth. Of course, we had also the formal government-led NGOs, uh, also meeting out there in, uh, Cape Town in partnership with the uh, Stellenbosch University. Uh, but the, the way the Chinese and some African governments calibrate civil society is that civil societies exist to support the government, not to put the government in check, not to be forces for accountability and so forth. So uh, one wants to imagine that uh, this past FOCAC must have demonstrated to the players, African governments and um, the the Chinese uh, authorities, that we'll have to find a way of accommodating independent voices, and not look at them essentially as um, uh, problem-troublemakers, rather we look at them as troubleshooters, and you know troubleshooting is much better than troublemaking because troubleshooting is that you're raising issues so that they can be addressed. Um, uh, In fact, one way in which civil society organizations are going to play a major role and therefore authorities will have to listen to them is going back again to the issue of industrialization. Um, essentially, these projects are going to be implemented in places that are fragile, you know, environmental, for example. So environmental impact assessment, uh, you know, environmental impact assessment and um, social impact assessment will have to be undertaken. And half the time, if you don't do this, then civil society organizations at whatever level, international, uh, national or local, you know, you know, like community-based organizations will come in, and, and therefore you cannot, it is impossible. In fact, uh, the authorities will just give up on the idea that uh, civil societies are going to look at the benefit and therefore say, look, we are looking at the economic rights rather than democratic or human rights. Uh, rather, they, they, they will do well as they plan ahead to see how they are going to include and incorporate Civil society organizations, with understanding that civil society organizations are not necessarily organizations that are pinpointed and picked by governments for a token representation uh, of, of those voices, but those that are self organizing and are and, and, and spread out of their own interest and so forth. So, the short answer is that yes, civil society organizations are going to be very critical to all this.
0: Thank you so much for for adding that. And I, I just just want to clarify a, a little bit. So in terms of the the sixty billion, no independent NGO is going to be able to touch that money. And actually, a lot of groups that are looking at this money will not be able to touch that money. Mo- a lot of that money, a lot of that money, the way it's going to be dispersed is going to go to Chinese contractors. There are going to be grants that are going to go to. Um, directly the projects that, that the Chinese government wants to support, and, and, and Chinese aid is actually very good and, and, and very diverse. Um, and then uh, pockets of other money, pots of other money, will go towards the China-Africa Development Fund, the Fund for Development of African SMEs, or something along those lines, the Special Loan for the Development of African SMEs, and then a, a new China-Africa production capacity fund that i never heard of. And I will say at least the China Africa Development Fund, they are overcapitalized. They have they have more money than they actually know what to do with, because they have very specific requirements for distributing the fund, which is it's a it's a it's a private equity fund spur that tries to spur independent Chinese investment and it's hard to actually disperse those funds. So we'll we'll see how what happens. But for any NGO Listening to this podcast, you are not going to touch any of the sixty billion. So, just wanted to get that out out of the way. Because when they see sixty billion development, they're like oh, I I should apply for a grant. I should get you know two hundred fifty thousand or five hundred thousand and fund my project for three years. Nope, you're not going to touch any of it.
1: Yeah, I I think yeah, you you are right, but to a to an extent with uh, this law because um, the uh, perhaps the greater proportion of that money will go straight into. Um, the project that they are meant for and to say you know China's argument which is also this whole uh, which makes this uh, mantra of mutual benefits or win-win uh, kind of uh, you know solid is that China considers itself a developing country and therefore when they invest resources from their sovereign fund because China Africa development fund is actually a sovereign fund uh, and, and others, other vehicles of that nature, when they they use them, they they, they want to extract some benefit uh, out of it, uh, and, and therefore it is a uh, drum in that you are not very certain. In fact, the sixty billion, if you break it down, you are not very certain if some of it is what, how much of it is eight, how much is of it is long term, you know, on short loans and and so forth and so on. Uh, but the only so so therefore. The financial institutions in Chinese, particularly, will be the biggest beneficiaries uh, because they will be called upon, and and, and you know, like um, companies that have something to do with the China-Africa industrialization, for example, or agricultural development and so forth, will be the biggest um, beneficiaries. But having said that, I think there's there's going to be some resources that will go towards things such as um, cultural exchanges. Um, you know, which includes media, of course, and, and, and much as it would be almost a drop in the sea, I think uh, NGOs, civil society organizations can, can buy, you know, that fraction of the money uh, and, and see how they can, for example, uh, propose voluntary organizations to Africa or take African dancing troops to China or perhaps undertake um, the exchange of journalists. As you might have realized, one of the proposals was that China is going to, uh, they're called which which are communication um, universities or you know institutions. We must not forget that uh, there are some aspects of the promulgation that are very cultural by nature. Those that uh, have to do with people-to-people uh, contacts, those are, that have to do with, uh, media, you know, publications, uh, broadcast, and so forth—the uh, kind of uh, softer in quotes, if you wish, aspects—and therefore, one once we might the dollars, will a small percent, perhaps a drop in the sea, will be, you know, directed uh, there. And I was just giving the example, for example, Worldwide uh, Fund for Nature (WWF) or IUCN. Uh, And other organisations in the environmental sector might want to target tapping into those resources with regards to doing environmental impact assessments, you know, social impact assessments for the many projects that are are gonna uh, come up. Media organisations on the continent might want to look at what is it that is being proposed in terms of media exchanges, in terms of media technology. digitalization and and, and see how they can structure deals uh, in such a way that they tap into those resources to enhance their own capacity for broadcasting and and, and so forth. Organizations that are involved in uh, you know, uh, uh, dancing troops, uh, you know, choirs, and Musical groups and so forth, uh, because you know the people-to-people aspect be is uh, been elevated even you know, a little more than um, it was in 2012. So I think we can't dismiss offhand the potential for uh, NGOs, civil society organisations, to be to, to to be included. The only challenge, as I mentioned earlier, is the conception or the concept of civil society and NGOs, especially in China, but also in some African countries, is that This should be organisations that whose existence, whose mission and vision, is to support governments in power rather than to call governments to account. And I think this is a a wrong impression. Uh, I I, I doubt that uh, standing out to say this is wrong is necessarily saying you are dismissing the whole thing. In any case you are pointing out a wrong as a civil society organization, not so much because you are malicious, but because you want to see the relations improved. I think many Africans, many Chinese, uh, except, you know, a minority, welcome the relations very much, and they would like to see them improve. So when, when, when civil society organizations point out the challenges in the relationship, they should not be seen as wanting to rock the boat. Rather, they should be impressed as, you know, people who are seeking pathways towards improving the the engagement.
3: I agree with um, Bob's assessment. I think the opportunities that are in the action plan are vast. I think, you know, a lot of mentions on things like setting up environmental cooperation centers for biodiversity, for example, Um, there's a green and envoys program between China and Africa. Uh, I think even though those are state-led initiatives, I think, um, there's plenty of room for NGOs to approach their respective governments, you know, with good proposals on how you actually, um, carry out these things. Because, um, you know, I'm not sure if the governments themselves really has a clear idea on what exactly they mean by this or what exactly they want to do. So I think, you know, if you're serious about claiming your space, um, in this, uh, China-Africa engagement. Um, I think there will be, um, space to be found.
0: All right.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: sure. And, and I think that's a, a, a good opportunity for us to wrap up. Um, so we don't keep Dr. What on all afternoon. Um, Maybe we can move on to recommendations. Dr. Wakesa, do you have any recommendations for our listeners?
1: No, yeah, as usual, um, uh, you know, we all talk about uh, information overloads, uh, and these days, and uh, FOCAC such an event that there is indeed an um, information overload. But uh, nonetheless, I think uh, for listeners who are keen to you know, follow the China-African engagement, FOCA provides a very great, op- a great opportunity, rather, to understand how it is operating and what it's proposing for the coming uh, weeks, months, and years. And uh, they will they'll do well to go uh, look up the promulgations, the two major, one, the declaration and two, the action plans, so that um, people speak from a point of knowledge and information rather than uh, just suppositions. Uh, my other... Thing to go back to what I've um, happened you uh, know in, in uh, the couple of uh, past few minutes, uh, and to say that I think the Chinese authorities and African governments need to have done well to kind of keep the relationship going, and in fact now it's become like they they have pointed out they are comprehensive strategic uh, partnership. Uh, rather than just a strategic, uh, you know, partnership as it was before the, this current Uh but they shouldn't uh, be fear too much criticism. I think the sh- people should, I mean, officials should develop thick skin and accept criticism as long as that criticism is based on genuine concern. And on the other hand, those of us who want to criticize the Chinese and African governments should base our criticism not on uh, three uh, considerations, but on some argument based on proper analysis. Those will be about two recommendations.
0: Excellent. Uh, E-Ting, do you have any recommendations for our listeners?
3: Um, well, uh, maybe something that I recently read about um, what's happening in Beijing. Um, There's a place called the African Arts Village um, that is now being sort of established by uh, a a Chinese person who was among the first generations of Chinese who learned um, Swahili and went to Tanzania. um, And he actually lived there for for many, many years. So he now is coming back and brought back a lot of African sculptures, especially wood carvings. here in Beijing and and is, you know, having an exhibition just outside of Beijing. Um, so, I would encourage people who are visiting here to check it out.
0: Uh, do you know how long the exhibition is going on for?
3: It's actually, it seems like it's permanent, um, but it would probably will have um, uh, particular exhibitions at different times. Um, but yeah, look it up. It's uh, African Art Village. In Beijing.
0: That sounds great, and I hope all our Beijing listeners will will head down there, although I'm, I do understand that almost every medium by which we spread this podcast is blocked in China. Lena, should I even go on to you, or...?
2: Winslow, well, you can go ahead.
0: Okay, so my recommendation has a... a actually... Refers to our the topic of this, today's discussion quite, quite well. There's an article in uh, yesterday's New York Times by Chris Buckley and Jane Perlez on Alibaba's recent purchase of the South China Morning Post, called "By Buying Hong Kong Paper, Alibaba Seeks to Polish China's Image." And for for our listeners, uh, South China Morning Post is a um, a, a fine newspaper. Uh, English language newspaper in Hong Kong that actually has a lot of good China Africa content. At least once a week, I'll find a, a good China Africa piece in there. So I became familiar with South China Morning Post because of doing this China Africa work, and it was just um, it's a really interesting piece talking about the rationale for Alibaba, which is a, a tech company in China, with extremely successful and and a, a quite visionary leader in in Jack Ma and they're buying this newspaper specifically to improve perceptions of China overseas. And, uh, and I mean, if, if you do anything about Chinese media spaces, and between Xinhua, Global Times, China Daily, CCTV, I found it quite interesting that there needs to be another outlet to improve China's image overseas. But the, the more the merrier, I guess. I'm very interested to see how this newspaper's reporting if it will change at all with with alibaba and, and their connections with the chinese government it might be something to watch but yeah it's a it's a it's a fun piece that that goes over all the issues quite quite well and and well worth checking out and before we sign off dr wakasa how do people find you on the internet do you have a website or a twitter account that you like to share with us
1: Right. I think I've reached uh, Facebook uh, at uh, Bob Job Wakesa, uh, Twitter at Bob Wakesa, and um, our website at With China Africa Reporting, which is With China Africa Reporting Project Those three will be how you can reach me.
0: Excellent, excellent. And E-Ting, what about yourself?
3: Um, I'm on Twitter at. So um, uh, of the Pool, uh, D-A-O-O-F-T-H-E-P-O-O-H.
0: And what do you tweet about?
3: Um, uh, I think in general China sustainability issues, but also um, China Africa, China, um, or generally South South uh, environmental cooperations and challenges.
0: Excellent, Lena. What about yourself?
3: Uh, the usual, uh, you can find me on
2: Twitter, my uh, handle is Lbenatella. Um and uh, yeah, I also do mostly China-Africa tweets, but um, other things as well.
0: So. And, and you've done a, a good set of French-language tweets over the past few weeks, so I'm happy to see that mm-hmm. Or exactly. or Francophone Sino-Africanists. Mm-hmm. Um, And I myself can be found on cowriesrice.blogspot.com and www.cowriesrice.com, the latter site housing my fledgling China-African consultancy. In addition, my Twitter handle is at Winslow underscore R, and I tweet about China-African news, events, opinions, and Arcana. Uh, And I am quite fond of the hashtag Sino-Africa, as you have probably discovered. That is about it for today's episode, we would like to thank Dr. Wakesa for joining us this afternoon from South Africa and congratulations on making it to South Africa. The last time we had this pod, you were not there yet. Um, we would also like to thank African Development Jobs. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Double Twist, and iTunes. We are also teaming up with WTND Community Radio for Macomb, Illinois to share our podcast. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings for composing the theme song, and thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.